Hello, welcome to my channel. I'm Masood Raja, and on this channel, I introduce you to novels and stories and texts from different parts of the world. And today, I'll be talking about one of my favorite and one of the most prominent novels from the Caribbean, and that is White Saragosso Sea by Jean Rees. Now, obviously, you're, of course, probably aware of it because it has been made into a movie. It has also figured prominently in English lit classes. And today, what I hope to do is give you a brief background about Jean Rees herself as an author, the significance of this novel as what we call an interventionist novel and why it is so, and then what does it do for the reader. So Jean Rees was a Creole woman from Dominica, right? She was born in a very prominent Creole family, white Creole family. So that's what distinguishes her from Afro-Creole families and others. But she didn't live there long. I mean, by the time she was 16, she goes to England and pretty much lives there most of her life. But she saw herself as a Dominican Creole woman. This novel particularly is where she stakes her identity. And I'm calling it a novel, but it's actually a novella, right? And she spent 21 years writing this. And if you read it carefully, you will see that there is nothing in the novel that is in excess that doesn't belong there. Everything has been worked on and edited, and it's in a perfect kind of rendering. Now, the novel itself, of course, the reference White Saragossa Sea is the reference to the Saragossa Sea. The novel, the reason I called it an interventionist novel is because it is a response to Jane Eyre, right? The famous Charlotte Bronte novel, the highly canonized novel. And so if you have read Jane Eyre, you know it's the story of Jane. It has been traditionally read and taught as a feminist novel. And in that novel, towards the end of the novel, Jane gets together with Mr. Rochester, or Rochester, whatever you want to call him. And we find out that Mr. Rochester has a previous wife, and her name is Bertha Mason. And she's the one who sets the mansion ablaze, right? And that's the only way we know her. Histo historical literary critics name her the mad woman in the attic. That's how she's represented, right? White Saragossa Sea is the story of Bertha Mason. Where does she come from? How does she end up being in England, right? So in a way, then, this novel, by way of its artistic intervention into a canonical British novel, gives us the story of a Creole female character who was completely silent in the English novel, but who comes to us as a living, breathing character, living, breathing human being in this novel. We get her prehistory, her family history, her marriage to Rochester, her move to England, and the final scene of when she actually lights the house ablaze. Okay. That's roughly the plot of the novel, as an interventionist novel. Now, the novella has three parts. Part one, and then part two, which I think is the longest, and then part three, which is the shortest. 
Part one tells us the story of Antoinette and her mom who are living on this really deprecate plantation. Their slaves have been freed. And these are white people, but they are poor white people. And it's their life. And the mother remarries. And the stepfather is really kind. And so that's how Antoinette gets her education and moves to into the city. And that is when the European person who is named Rochester in the original novel, not the original novel, in Jane Eyre, through the family of her stepfather, her stepbrother, ends up marrying Antonetta. Now, throughout her life, she has a confidant who is an African Jamaican woman, and her name is Christophine, who is a magical figure and is feared by other servants, but she is fiercely loyal to Antonetta. Now, as they get married, they also spend some time in Jamaica, where Antoinette's family has land holdings. But the story there is kind of a story of betrayal, because as she falls in love with him, she realizes that he is increasingly becoming jealous of her because someone feeds him some rumors. So by the time they lead for England, she is almost, you know, losing her conscious mind and living increasingly in this dream world of her own creation. But when she gets to England, that is when, you know, she loses all agency. Part of the reason she loses her power to act is because of the British law in which as soon as a woman married, women couldn't hold property. So all her property becomes his property. Right? And then the last scene is which where we hear her story, how she describes England and its coldness and her life in that room and how she occasionally, when her guard or nurse goes to sleep, she escapes and wanders the house. Remember, that is what Jane Eyre sees in the novel and it startles her. And then the last scene is she coming down the stairs and holding a candle taking everything into her own hand and burning down the house. This is the plot and, of course, some major characters in the story. But, of course, the story never is just about that. What it does as a Caribbean novel, as a post-colonial novel, and that's contested, too, by scholars, is that it creates this genre of writing where the scholars or the writers from former colonies read the canonical texts and see how their culture was represented, and then they actually go and write a story that either responds to that, refutes those representations, or in this case, rewrites the part of the silenced history that was silenced in the first English novel that talked about Bertha Mason and all. And this tradition, you can see it elsewhere too, Chenua Achebe's Things Fall Apart was, so, was a response to Joseph Conrad because he wanted to tell the story of African characters as living, breathing, complex characters. What fascinates me about this novel is uh, that, of course, any reader can come to it. This is not a very complex novel in terms of its style. 
but the pace at which the story moves, it, it kind of captures your imagination. You feel for Antonetta, right? And you travel with her as she journeys on land, you know, from Dominica to Jamaica to the islands and then to England. But you are also taking this journey in her consciousness and you feel the powerlessness of a woman who was so lively and full of love and life and what the frigid temperatures of England do to her and what the English law does to her. There is a scene in part three where her stepbrother comes to visit her and she is insisting that she sh he should help her and he says, I can't help you. That's the law, right? Another thing that the novel highlights, maybe slightly tangentially, is how the wealth of so many of the English second sons were built. Now remember, the English, in the, according to the English law, if your parents were rich, may they be nobility or rich merchant families, only the eldest son inherited the property, right? The second sons then had to find their fortune. And the best way of doing that was that they would go to the Caribbean, to these white Creole families who wanted to marry their daughters to British gentlemen, and they would marry a young woman there and get a dowry. In this case, Rochester gets, he's not named, right, but he gets 30,000 pounds plus her properties. And so that's another aspect of the Caribbean white Creole culture that she highlights. Now, of course, there are quite a few criticisms of the novel. One of them is because she primarily focuses on the white Creole population, which is not even 1% of Dominica or elsewhere. And we have to keep that in mind. But does she uh, not respond to colonialism or challenge its assumptions? No, she does that. And that is why, in so many ways, People like me still teach this novel in our what we call the post-colonial literature classes. So any reader can, of course, read it. But if you are into literary novels and novellas, and if you enjoy reading a deeply crafted work that tells a compelling story of a female protagonist whose life is tragic, but who is connected to this other novel by a woman called Charlotte Bronte, a novel called Jane Eyre, and if you want to read them comparatively, then this novel would be a fascinating read for you, because it will fill a huge gap, because we never find out in Jane Eyre where did Bertha Mason come from, why was her name Bertha Mason, right, even though we find out that she's from the islands somewhat. So these are some of the questions that the novel tries to answer and the question that it raises about gender, about women's agency, about the law, colonial law and how it impacts people's lives and how it impacts women's lives. The most important non-major character is that of Christophine who is, you know, a wizard woman. She's feared because she can do magic but she's also the one who protects Antoinette throughout her life from her childhood until she's married off and goes to England. And so that bond is really important to note. Right? 
There are also some uh, very negative representations of African characters, and you will have to read them carefully and understand why they are represented like that, but that we don't need to apologize for that if there is a racist representation in a text that's trying to challenge the European hegemonic way of representing the Caribbean but still is focusing on white Creole experience, we can read that carefully and find out where we stand on that. So these are some of the views I have about the novel. I do have a more detailed lecture on it on my other channel and you can watch it on my other channel on post-colonialism. But this being a book channel where I introduce good books and where I have to leave some things hidden so that I don't give you spoilers, I think this should do. And if you have any questions, please send them my way. If you have time, please read this novel and then maybe watch the movie but do give White Saragossa Sea a try. That is all I have to share. I hope this was useful to you. I will now see you next time. Take care, and as always, peace and love.